The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, I have got on a very special next guest right here. Very, very special guest. I love the way I was just asking her before we started recording how she would like to be introduced. And so I'm going to introduce her. How I'm going to tell you what she said. She said, the future governor of Arizona. And I love that. This is Carrie Lake. Welcome to the show. It's so good to be here, Zuby. I've been following you for a long time on on social media. You're one of the bright spots on Twitter, and that's saying something. So um, I'm I really feel like I've arrived that I'm sitting here and uh, on your show with you today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to have you on, Gary. So wow, let's let's get right into it. For people who are not familiar with you, please introduce yourself to the audience because I've got listeners, of course, in the USA, but lots of listeners in Canada the UK and other countries as well. Okay. Um, I am just uh, a mom, uh, an American citizen who is fed up with what I'm seeing going on in our country. And I stepped forward and I'm running for governor of Arizona. Um, let me give you a little bit of my history. I'm, I'm from a large family of nine and um, the youngest of nine. And I came to Arizona 27, 28 years ago for a job opportunity to be a journalist and a news anchor here in the beautiful state of Arizona. And for 27 years, I had a wonderful career where I was able to be a fair and honest journalist. But during COVID, I walked away from that career and a very large paycheck because I no longer wanted to be part of what I perceived as an industry that had become propaganda. And upon making that uh, apparently courageous um, move, bold move, the people really reached out to me in Arizona and said, would you please consider running for office? We need somebody that we trust, that understands our issues, that loves Arizona. We're tired of the career politicians. So I took a leap of faith. I threw my hat in the ring. And we have an incredible political movement happening here in Arizona. I'm an America first, Arizona first candidate. We are kicking butt and taking names and we are going to set things straight in Arizona and restore law and order and make Arizona a great free state again. I love that. What is it that made you want to get involved in politics specifically? It's such a it's such a, a crazy and and murky world. And obviously you already had a successful career before it. So what was it specifically that drew you into it? Well, I really didn't want to get involved in politics, and sometimes I still don't. But yeah. what choice do we have? You know, our, our republic is is on the edge of, of going under. And if we don't step forward as citizens, as our founding fathers envisioned, that we would keep this republic alive and going. And we've kind of put, uh, you know, vote every time we say, oh, we're politically active, we vote. No, it takes more than that to have a healthy republic. Mm -hmm. And so, as I said, I walked away from my career. I, I was 
27 years covering this state, 22 as the main um, news anchor in, in this state, in top of my game, number one for that entire time. Mm-hmm. So I had huge name ID. 85% of the state knows who I am, and now it's closer to 95%. And I took those God-given abilities that God granted me, and I'm using those to run for office and, and take back our government mm-hmm. and restore it to the people. I believe that the Republican Party, the new Republican Party, is a party of we the people. We're the party of ideas that work and and bringing solutions to the long-time problems we've had. So I wouldn't say I wanted to get into politics. I somehow let the people of this great state talk me into it. I left the corrupt, disgusting world of fake news, and I somehow um, allowed the people to talk me into going to to the even more corrupt world of politics. (laughs) I don't know if I should love the people or hate them. But um, we're doing great. And I think that God kind of tapped me on the shoulder, freed me up at this mm-hmm. moment to do this. There's something you said there that really jumped out at me, actually, which I wanted to ask about. So you said that you feel that the Republic is under threat. Now, I am, everyone knows I'm from the UK, but I'm someone who spends a lot of time in the US and loves the USA and does a lot of events there. And something I've noticed that's interesting from an outside perspective is that when you talk to people more on the left side of the aisle or people who tend to vote Democratic, they say that our democracy is under threat. And when you talk to people on more the right and conservative side of the aisle, they say our republic is under threat. So both people, both sides, regardless of where they sit ideologically, are feeling that the other side is this kind of threat to the whole country. So what do you what do you make of that? And where do you think that's coming from? Well, let me just drop some cold, hard facts. Okay. We are a constitutional republic. Mm-hmm. And that's a fact. And so when they say our democracy is under threat, they're, they're just trying to find a way to, uh, you know, word things to make people side with them. But we have a republic. And that's how our country was set up. We are 50 sovereign states. And we are watching a federal government that we, the states, we founded the federal government. We created the federal government. It's not the other way around. And mm-hmm. we're, we've watched as slowly, 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 the federal government got more and more powerful to the point where they're, they're now crushing us. They're trying to take our state's rights away. Each state has sovereign has sovereignty in this country. And we've watched as the federal government has become so bloated and the people who aren't even elected, who run all of these different agencies, and they're in there, they're bureaucrats for life, and they are starting to control our lives. They haven't been elected by we the people. And so we need to take back that power that the federal government has taken away from us. Uh, and I think the left, either they're they're ignorant and they don't understand that, which is probably a big part of it, or they're just trying to find a, a talking point that they can sell on social media. But the fact mm. of the matter is we are a republic. I understand that. When you firstly, I think it's useful perhaps to define those terms for people who might not be familiar with the political lingo. So when you talk about a republic versus a democracy on a basic level, what does that mean? Well, I think I just talked about it. It's a collection of of uh, individual sovereign states. And I think mm-hmm. when you think of democracy or when people think of democracy, it's it's majority rules. And that's not how our country is set up, because when majority rules and I think our, our founding fathers were brilliant were brilliant when they created our constitution. Um, Majority rules is, what about in smaller towns and smaller communities? If you just have majority rules in this town, you would have the folks in New York City, LA, and Chicago controlling everything about this country, because Mm -hmm. that's where the majority of the population base is. And it would take people who are, are in, in more agricultural parts of our rural parts of our country, and it wouldn't give them a voice. The way a republic is set up is that everybody has a voice. We all have a voice, and, and we have the and the power between you know we each have each state has two senators, and then so we're equal in that way. But then mm-hmm. depending on our population, we have more representation in Congress in the House of Representatives. It's just a brilliant setup so that we don't end up with that. I guess so-called democracy where it's majority rules. Mm-hmm. And then what about the little guy? What about the little guy in a smaller rural community who doesn't have any voice? I hear that. If so, everything came from the power centers, the New York and the LA, mm-hmm. what would happen to our rural communities? What would happen to agriculture? 
what would happen to people in smaller communities across this great country? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I understand that. I think it's uh, useful, especially for, I think, UK and European listeners to yeah. understand some of those differences. But I think a lot of people in the US as well don't necessarily, I'm not sure that most Americans would know that the USA is a republic. I don't know. I don't know what the poll, I don't know what the poll on that is. It should be taught in our schools. And one of my policies I'm putting forward is to, is to teach that we need Mm. to spend more time teaching the constitution and, and teaching our history. And so our kids have an understanding of it. And I I don't think they do. I don't think it's being taught um, properly right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and I was in an international school from kindergarten up until fifth grade. Mm. And we did a lot of U.S. social studies. So for anyone curious, one reason why I have a decent understanding of the USA besides spending time there is that for those first you know, six or seven years of my formal education, I was more in the American school system and they did actually teach us some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, at an elementary school level, but that's where some of that sparks from. Cause sometimes people in the U S even will be like, Oh, well, you know, you're, you're from the UK. You don't understand them. Like yeah. sometimes I, oftentimes I have more knowledge than, <laughs> than, than, <laughs> than someone might expect on that. A question I do have to ask though, is what, how come you chose to run as a, as a Republican? Cause what I understand is that you've, am I correct in saying that you have been on multiple sides of this, that you've been on the Republican side in the past and then independent mm-hmm. and then democratic and back to Republican. Am I correct in yep. saying that? Okay. Absolutely. So can, uh, tell me about that. Well, let me tell you how I grew up. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up an hour from the hometown of Ronald Reagan, one of our great conservative icons. Great. He was a governor of California and he was, um, I believe one of the greatest presidents our country ever had. And I grew up about an hour from him. Um, he was in Illinois. I was on the Iowa side of the Mississippi river and he was the president of my youth. And I loved Ronald Reagan. I thought, He came into our country at a time when when there was great turmoil after Jimmy Carter's presidency and the country was kind of left in an ash heap. And and through um, patriotism and positivity, he helped lift this country up. We were in in dark times and I I loved his positive attitude. I loved his... um, his ability to lead. And so I greatly admired him as a child. He was my president from 10 to 18. And when I turned 18, because of Ronald Reagan, I registered as a Republican. I've been registered as a Republican almost all of my adult life, Mm -hmm. uh, about 30 plus years or so, except for four years when I registered as a Democrat and two years when I was registered as an independent. I, like many Americans, Um, got real tired of watching this two-party system where it seemed like they only cared about their own interest and not the people. And I switched parties and I voted for um, our first black president, Barack Obama. I had a lot of hope for him. Mm -hmm. And I was interested as a mother at the time with two little babies in which of the candidates were going to end the Iraq war, which I believe we were lied to and why that was started. And I was really disturbed by that. I didn't want an endless war where my son was going to end up, you know, who was a baby at the time, fighting that war if we didn't find someone to get us out of it. They Mm -hmm. lied about the reasons for starting that. And I took a chance on Barack Obama. I didn't believe that John McCain, who I had covered as a journalist at that time for about 20 years, would end any war. As a matter of fact, I figured he might start some wars. Mm -hmm. So I took a chance on Barack Obama. I was excited to vote for the first black president. And I had really high hopes for him that he would do more. Unfortunately, I don't think it worked out quite that well. But I think that's actually not a bad thing that you would switch parties. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, the beauty of this country. If you don't like the way your political party is going, you can switch. And right now, Zuby, we're seeing a mass exodus from the Democrat Party. Because people are now awake to the fact that Joe Biden's policies are destroying this country, hurting individuals, causing them great strife economically, and and really dividing us further. So I, I'm, I feel I can relate to people who are walking away from the Democrat Party, and I want to tell them, come on over to the Republican Party, because the new Republican Party is truly the party of we the people. Mm-hmm. Everyone's invited. If you want common sense policies that make sense, that help that solve our problems, then you should come to the Republican Party. And that's why I'm a Republican. I also love President Trump's policies, by the way. He put America first. And before him, 
Make America Great Again. You've heard of that, I'm sure, mm-hmm. even if you are in the UK. Of course. The first president to say that was President Reagan. He said, mm-hmm. let's make America great again. Where was I, where was I about to go there? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm a talker. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. There, there's so many different ways. There's so many different directions that I can go in because I want to talk to you about policies, of course. I want to talk yeah. to you about the vision. I want to talk to you about your media, your media career in the past and what made you leave that. So I'm thinking of where to go, but there's a phrase you've used a couple times. Um, the, the Republican party is the party of we, the people. When you say that, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, we, the people is, uh, the people of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. We, the people are who elects our elected officials And so when you're running for office, you're not running necessarily to be a leader. You're running to be a representative of we, the people. Mm -hmm. And I'm running for office in Arizona. And we, the people, are the first um, three words of our Declaration of Independence. And we, the people, own and control our government. And unfortunately, we, the people, have not been represented well. It's been political um, insiders who've been controlling our government long time they call them career career politicians like joe biden who's been in there 50 plus years or however many years that's not how our government was set up our government was set up by our founding fathers that real people citizen politicians farmers merchants uh, mothers regular people would step forward run for office to represent the people in their district or their state and then do that service to the public and walk away, not get in there and be career politicians where they are at the public teat their entire life. Mm-hmm. And we've got to get away from how politics have become and go back to how our founding fathers envisioned it, which is we, the people running for office, representing our people, and then going back to private life. So that's what I mean by that. I hear that. Why do you think that it's changed so much over the last few decades? Because it does seem that in American politics in particular, there have been some real shifts. A lot of people talk about the polarization and Mm -hmm. the Republican and Democratic parties drifting further away from each other. Again, you have people on the left who think that the right has become extreme. You have people on the right saying that the the left has become extreme and is you know being taken over by socialists and the progressive wing. And then you hear on the other side they're saying, oh, you know, these MAGA Republicans or these and and you know, I have my own personal political views and I have my own read on the situation, but I always find it particularly interesting, but also confusing when both sides, shall we say, are saying the same thing about the other one. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's always been like that. I mean, you, you brought up president Reagan that was before my time, but I mean, Reagan won by a landslide. I mean, so many yeah. states now, which you can't even imagine voting Republican, right? To co- completely yeah. went Republican, right? People used to vote. Them all, yeah, except people, Minnesota. People, exactly, right? People used to vote. You used to get these type of landslide victories, whereas now you have blue states and red states, and then you have the, the purple ones and the swing states. And it's, it's much more like no matter who is running, like, well, California is just a blue state, right? California, you know, New York is a blue state. People almost don't, it's, it's like people they won't, even, won't even fight for them. Yeah. Because our, yeah. Elect- our, our elections have become such a joke. And that's why I've, okay. I've talked about that. We need to restore faith and honesty in our elections. And I've been at the forefront of that and I've been criticized for speaking out, but I will continue to speak out because we have to have elections that are run properly. And the laws are our constitution requires that the state legislature makes the rules for voting. And a lot of political appointees and people who shouldn't be making election laws have usurped the state legislatures in these states and made various rules and laws when it comes to elections. And that would be unconstitutional. So we just need to bring restore honest and, and fair elections. And I think we'll, we will see uh, our country come together a little more. I'm, I'm very disturbed that our country is warring and at, at, it seems to be an ideological war. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that President Trump, believe it or not, the media attacked him and tried to destroy him and tried to turn him into a monster. I think he actually wanted to bring this country together. And Reagan brought the country together through patriotism. Sure. And, yeah. and when the left, and, and I think the globalists saw that, 
they recognize that as a threat. We are a country of many races and many religions. Mm -hmm. We are Americans. I call us mutts. We're just a little bit of everything. <laughs> and we don't want to be at each other's throats. We really don't. Yeah. But if you have people battling all the time, then they're not paying attention to the corruption happening. So it's in the kind of globalist special, it's in their interest to have us battling. And mm -hmm. they recognize that we've got to make patriotism a bad thing in order to prevent that from bringing people together. The one thing we all have in common in America is that we love this country. It's the greatest country on, the, on earth. And we had that at one point. And then yeah. we watched the media attack patriotism, attack this country, try to brainwash our kids into thinking this country is bad. And then how do we come together? How do we ever come together if everything is bad? And so I think when President Trump came on the scene and wanted to bring Americans together, he was loved before he ran for office. And then I, I think that. the media and this with this globalist agenda said, oh, my gosh, we have to demonize him. Mm -hmm. And here's a man who gave up a lot. Talk about a citizen politician come forth from his very comfortable lifestyle to run for office. And he tried to bring us together on patriotism, but quickly the media jumped in and tried to label that racist and all of this garbage. If you've been to a Trump rally, you'll see that all kinds of people are there. Mm -hmm. They try to paint it as, at a, as a racist uh, get together, and it's not. It's the most yeah. loving environment ever. I yeah. believe we need to bring that love for country back and come together. And that's what can bring us together. Yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. I think, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've said many times, if, if I were American, I would have voted for Trump in both of the past two elections. Uh, some people don't like that I say that, but that is my position. I'm not in the camp of, oh, he's a white supremacist or he's a I think that I think that's all bunk. I think it's all nonsense. Um, I will say, though, and I've talked to boy at this point, probably it must must be thousands of people about this particular man, because, you know, as soon as you the Trump, the, just the word Trump, that's going to start a no matter where you are in the world, whatever country, whatever city people have feelings and I've never seen anyone so many people get so emotional about a single human being and emotional is an interesting word because the thing with him is that even though I don't find him particularly I, I you know I don't think he's this this super villain or whatever the truth is that his personality does turn off a lot of people right when you hear people criticize Trump they, they rarely talk about policies or things that he right. actually did. It's it's all personality based. It's about his character. And I don't like the way he speaks. And I don't like he says that and his tweets and this and this. And I'm not really wired that way. I'm I'm why when it comes to politics, I'm very much like, how does it is, is stuff working? Where where is the ball landing? Not not what does the swing look like? But okay, where where's the ball? Where's the <laughs> ball landing? Right? If I'm in the USA, I, I was in the USA in 2019. Um, I was in the States in 2020. I've been there. It, 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 no, not, not 2020 for, you know, reasons, but, uh, <laughs> 2021 and 2022. And when I was there in 2019, I was like, okay, well stuff is, stuff is working well here. Like stuff is good. The economy was flying. Unemployment was low. Mm -hmm. Things were generally ticking along well. And, you know, I spent time in California. I spent time in New York. I spent time in Texas, Florida, great. all over and, and stuff was fine. So people were complaining and moaning and, you know, my Uber, I was getting in arguments with Uber drivers about Trump and stuff. And I was like, yeah, but stuff is, stuff is fine. Stuff is working. And then when I've been back more recently, then it's like, whoa, the prices have shot up even since 2019. The prices have gone way, way up. Look, I know there was the, you know, the past two and a half years and there's this and there's that, but stuff isn't working anymore. It's not. No, it's, it's it, it doesn't feel as safe. It seems like there's more there's more homelessness. There's more this and that. And it's like, yeah, but no mean tweets. And so in my perspective, I think that what the USA really needs and what the Republican Party needs or independents need is are people who can have good policies and get the U.S. in a good place, but also win over some of those people in the middle. I know people who are conservatives in the U.K., right? Straight straight up conservatives. But I know if they were American, they wouldn't have voted for Trump just because they found him that abrasive. They would have rather voted against the actual policies that they support because they were that turned off by the individual. So I think it's important, even though that's not my perspective. You're, you're more pragmatic and not I'm, emotional. Yes, I'm more pragmatic, but I recognize that millions and millions of people lead more with their emotions and how people make them feel. 
you also have um, a, your, a strong mind that you can't be brainwashed. And when you're in control of your mind where you're not able to succumb to the brainwashing, you, you see you see what's happening. You know, they yeah. took a man, President Trump, when he was Donald Trump, he was loved. He the was. liberals loved him. The conservatives loved him. Everyone loved him. I'm a rapper. The hip hop world loved him. And the hip hop world loved him. And they said, oh, my gosh, how do we stop him? Because he's unstoppable. He's got America first policies. He's going to take away our ability to be corrupt politicians. And they threw everything they had, including the kitchen sink at him. They got their minions in the media to attack him relentlessly for six to seven years through a bunch of fake, uh, you know, Russia, 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 all this stuff was bogus. And so when someone comes up to me and tells me they hate Trump because they just don't like his personality, I, I want to say to them, I'm sorry, but you've been brainwashed by the media. You've been brainwashed. They're trying to do the same to me. I walked into this. I've been the face of Arizona when it comes to news and journalism. I was an honest reporter. I walked into a politics. I think I had something like 63, 65% positivity. My likability number was that high. That's really high. Mm. And they freaked out and said, we got to stop her because we can't control her. She's working for the people, not for us. And so they've been giving me the Trump treatment throw everything you've got at her, try to destroy her reputation, make up lies, write hit pieces. And, and Zuby for almost a year and a half now, um, I have been attacked relentlessly. I'm getting mm -hmm. the Trump treatment. It is bogus. In the primary, I had nearly $30 million thrown at me of the political machine trying to stop people who are represented, representing the people. They want to stay in control. They don't want we, the people, in control. And so they have to do everything they can to try to tear us down. And I, I just hope people are waking up to the fact that that's how it, it's done. They want us at each other's throats. They don't want us coming together as people. My policies are great policies that will work and help Democrats, independents, and Republicans. The same way President Trump's policies were, the, were just like that. Mm -hmm. If you look at every section of our society, and whether it's um, the rich were doing better, the poor were doing better. Whites were doing better. Blacks were doing better. Hispanics were doing better. Asians were doing better. Young people, old people, retirees were doing better. Yes. Everybody was doing better, but they wanted us to be looking over here at the mean tweet instead mm -hmm. of at the policy. And yeah. I hope people are waking up. I really that's, do. That's very much my read on it as well. And I think with so many of the things you said there, it's, it's objective, this this isn't just based on feelings. I mean, if you look at the economy, you look at employment, you look at the cost of goods and all of these things, it's like, yeah, it was you look at crime rates. It's like it was oh it was it was objectively yeah, it it was objectively better a few years ago. Now, not all of that is going to be down to a president. I don't want to give uh, the federal government or any single individual that much credit or demonization. But um, the governors you know, are the important ones. The governors yes. are the important ones, truly. Yeah, and, and we're, I, on the, we're on the verge of losing our country because Joe Biden's terrible policies, mm -hmm. and we need to make sure we save Arizona. I'm not going to let Joe Biden take Arizona down with the rest of the country. If that's what his goal is to drive this country into the ground, we're going to try to save Arizona. I hear that, and I want to talk about specific policies in a moment, but. I have to ask because there's a word you've used a lot recently, and that is they. So when you say they, who are you referring to? Give me a, give it to me in a sentence. What do you mean? Okay. <laughs> you, you, you said that. Uh, that I they, use they, the, yeah, and. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were but, saying that they, they, they've context. thrown, they said they, they've thrown $30 million at attacking mm. you. You said that they are trying to bring down the country. They are tearing people apart. They are spreading propaganda. And well, so I, I think what I mean by that is the, political elite. Mm -hmm. I ran against um, the political elite. I am, I'm grassroots. I'm of we, the people. And I ran against a very powerful machine. The people who were running against me were a part of that political elite. They've been in politics for a long time. They've been at the core of that power for a long time and they'll put their own candidates out, you know, okay, this is one of us put the, the political elite candidate out. So I won in the primary this is the first time in a long time that a grassroots candidate has won in such a big election. Mm -hmm. And I won in the primary. And now I'm up against uh, a, frankly, a socialist Democrat who is also controlled by the political elite. The political elite controls both sides of the, of the aisle. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're aware of that, how, how that works, where it's kind of one and the same. They're a big uniparty. 
And so when I refer to it, I, re I refer to the same people who helped drag this country down a generation and a half ago when they started selling out our companies, our great companies, sending our manufacturing overseas to China and leaving our cities and our, our communities in despair. When, when they close down the factory, when they close down manufacturing, when they send our businesses overseas, what does that do to the family? Dad's all of a sudden out of a job. When dad's out of a job, you've got problems that are created within the family. How do we replace that job? How do we put food on the table? It has been a very slow destruction of our country, of our families, and our communities. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're going to come back and put Arizona first. I want to start helping countries re or companies relocate into this country. And I think Arizona is poised to take some of those great mm -hmm. countries and bring them back. Or companies, pardon me, and bring them back. Yeah, um, we have to start building up America because what's happening is uh, when you, when especially when you look at Arizona, and I'm speaking from Arizona, mm -hmm. is we have a president who came in, Joe Biden, and pulled back a, a policy at the border that was working under President Trump. I, I I covered the border for 27 years, never been more secure than under Trump. Biden comes in, pulls that back, and now the cartels, these narco-terrorists, are in control of our border. They're pumping mm -hmm. in record amounts of the most dangerous, deadly drug we've ever seen in this world, fentanyl, and Arizona's become the pipeline for that. Mm -hmm. I believe there is an effort to destroy our country from within with these drugs. These drugs, you, you don't, this isn't necessarily just for a high, Zuby. I've yeah. talked to many moms and dads on the campaign trail. Their daughter, one woman said, my 22-year-old daughter took a half a Xanax pill, or so she thought, and died. A half of a pill shouldn't kill you on anything. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like the opium wars uh, of centuries ago, ago that brought down dynasties. They're yes. trying to weaken our country from within, get people hooked on drugs, kill people with this poison, decimate our neighborhoods. What What's so interesting, I'll tell you, because there's going to be a gap between when certain podcasts come out but my previous the previous person i was speaking to for an episode of this podcast is a very well-known musician who's just relocated from las vegas to arizona he is also mm -hmm. someone who was telling me that his two of his own brothers and dozens of people that he knows are addicted to drugs he knows dozens of people who have overdosed when he grew up in Philadelphia. He has seen everything that you are talking about. He's even mentioned some of the same mentioned some of the same drugs by name. Um, and so it's it's actually really interesting you brought that up. Of course, you're running for governor of Arizona. He's just moved to your state. I actually asked him, I'm about to speak to Carrie Lake. What would you like me to ask her? His question was about uh how you'd ensure election integrity. But um, I normally don't sort of reference other podcasts within ones that I'm recording, but I can't help but bring together those connections because that's so interesting. Well, please to me. reach out to him and make sure he's registered to vote. Okay. <laughs> make sure he's registered and I hope he votes. Uh, if he wants sanity, if he, he left, where'd you say Las Vegas? He left Las Vegas because he was worried that Nevada is copying the policies from California. Well, I can tell you my opponent is pushing for those policies in California to bring mm -hmm. them here. Her idea of utopia is California. And this is why, you know, I'm not in this because I have political aspirations. I I really didn't want to get into politics. Mm -hmm. I don't like the idea of politics. It's just, it's dirty and gross. Yeah. But somebody's got to get in there and do the right thing. And our border's a mess because of Biden. And a governor can take back control of the border. It's right there in the Constitution. Mm. I've got a policy to deal with the homeless crisis. We have chronic street homelessness that in the past four or five years, we've watched that population double. Yes. And it's because of the drugs pouring in. God did not intend for any one of us to live on a street with a needle in our arm. And mm. We're going to help these people, but we're going to also require them to have skin in the game. We can't just say, okay, here's a, here's a handout. Here's a clean needle. We are enabling people to kill themselves and die on the streets. Mm -hmm. It's it's terrible. And we need to help these people stop, stop enabling them, get them treatment, help them become contributing citizens in our society. And, and just as importantly, have some compassion for the hardworking people who are doing the right thing every day, who are following the law, working, 
paying their taxes, taking care of their families, who would like to have safe streets again, who would like to be able to take their kids to a park and play after work or after school and not worry about stepping on a used needle or having an encounter with somebody who's out of their minds uh, in a drug-induced psychosis. We're not going to let Arizona become San Francisco, Seattle, and Portland. And we have to tackle these big problems. I, I hear that totally. I'd love to go deeper on that, actually, Carrie. Can you can we talk about what you would do as governor? Yeah, oh, let me have a sip of coffee first. Oh, please, <laughs> I'm please gonna need it for this one. <laughs> no, yeah, please. And and I say this again. Remember, I'm I'm from the UK. I'm someone who travels a lot. I've been to a, about twenty different states in the USA. I've been to dozens of different cities, and I've seen firsthand what these different places are like. I've had my mind blown by certain cities because I've seen things that I've never seen in any European country or any Middle Eastern country or anywhere, right? Mind blown in a good way or a bad way? Bad way. I'm talking Skid Row. I'm talking the Tenderloin in San Francisco. I'm talking certain parts of Austin now more recently. And it's one thing to hear about stuff. It's another to see it with your own eyes and to see the change over a period of time. So you as governor, when it comes to, let's be, let's be specific. Let's talk about the two things that you, that we just touched on. You touched, touched on the border and the border, the drugs, the homelessness. I've got four things that are really important. The border. Let's go. uh, Homelessness. Mm Mm-hmm. Equality, restoring quality of life, reducing crime and giving our kids proper education so they can be self-sufficient right out of high school. There's no reason we should have to drag it out another decade for them to figure out what they're doing. Let's get them ready for the real world. So, and they're they're all kind of tied together. I really believe they're tied together. So we're going to secure the border. We have to. We're going to take that back using our Article 1, Section 10 uh, powers. Government is supposed to secure the border from invasion. They're not doing it. We have the largest invasion we've ever seen on our homeland since the founding of this this great country. And we're going to go right there and invoke our Article 1, Section 10 powers. And under Article 1, Section 10, if you're being invaded, your citizens are in imminent danger and time is of the essence, there's no time for delay, then you, the state, has the power to protect your border. And we're going to do that. On day one, we're going to get boots on the ground, take back control from the cartels and and work tirelessly to stop the flow of this deadly drug, fentanyl, from coming into our our country. Our children are getting their hands on it. I'm serious when I say the opium wars. Mm -hmm. Go back. I encourage your um, listeners, Zuby, to look into that. Dynasties were brought down through drug addiction. We know how it destroys an individual life and then the people around that individual life. And imagine what it's doing to a whole country when they're pouring record amounts of fentanyl, enough to, what we're confiscating is enough to kill everybody in the world. That's Crazy. what we're confiscating. What about the stuff that's getting through? And it, yeah. they're making it look like candy now, which is really horrifying. They're trying to kill us and destroy our country. So we're going to tackle it at the border. We're going to work on the homeless population because we can't have that burgeoning and growing. We have to stop the drugs from coming in if we're going to try to get people off drugs. Mm -hmm. It's a big task. I understand that. I'm not um, living in la-la land where I think this is going to be easy, but we don't have the choice but to tackle these hard problems. We're going to ban what they call urban camping. You've probably seen it if you've been to LA. Venice Beach has become tense. For sure. Um, And the only way to do that because of some court rulings is to have enough shelter beds in order to get people off the street and into a shelter bed. You can't ban urban camping if you don't have enough shelter beds. So we'll make sure we build some quick shelter beds so we can say, look, we have enough shelter beds. Now you cannot live on the street any longer. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy, but we have to do it. Mm -hmm. We're going to get people the option for treatment. And then we're going to start doing what they call broken windows policing. This is how Rudy Giuliani back in the nineties turned New York city around. New York city was so dangerous and it is now, frankly, Mm -hmm. they need, another Rudy Giuliani to take over New York City. It's become unlivable as far as I'm concerned. Um, Broken windows policing is when you start to go after the little crimes. If you keep, if you turn away from the little crimes and ignore them, then you get more crime and more crime. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. And so we're going to tackle um, the small crimes and go after them. And a lot of times it's people who are homeless. They're trying to get a little money for their next hit. Mm-hmm. And so they'll 
steal something, they'll cause problems. So we're going to arrest them and then expunge that arrest if they agree to get help. That's how we're yes. going to do the tough love to get people help. And I can keep going on. My policies are great. They're on mm -hmm. carrylake.com and you can see it. I, I don't think I can describe the entire policy here. I don't think we have enough time, mm -hmm. but I do encourage your listeners to go look at my homeless policy, my border policy, my education policy, and encourage their elected officials to take on these policies. They can steal it. I don't care. They don't have to give us any credit. We just want to see every city turned around, getting people who are struggling help, people in despair help, and also for people who are doing the right thing, give them the safety and security they need. Yeah. It's so interesting to me. And look, maybe this is my conservative bias, right? But what you're describing to me is so, it's so obvious. One of the things I find strangest about the USA is because you have the 50 states and you have the republic and you have the different governors and mayors and different cities and states, you can very clearly see what is working and what is not working because you have a comparison. It's not like the UK or most European countries where it's kind of top down and it's sort of the same everywhere, right? Yeah. The UK the UK doesn't have a California and a Florida and a Tennessee and an Alaska, right? It, it's kind of all, it's kind of all the same, right? Yeah. The policy goes and it's kind of the same. It's not like, oh, that particular city is getting really bad and this one is thriving. It, well, it, you could maybe do Ireland, Scotland, and, and England and, and compare there, but even there, it's even the even the different even yeah, even England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, it's still it's run, it's the same prime minister. It's not it, it's also geographically a much smaller place, right? The whole UK is smaller than just Texas. So it's not the same. But what I find weird when I'm in the States is I mean, I see people. Flee the, the I spent I spent a lot of time in Austin. The number I'd say a quarter of the people I know in no, I'd say a third of the people I know in Austin are from California, and most of them have moved in the past three years. I was in I was in Miami recently. Everyone is from like New York and what, and they have been fleeing. I mean, you can see it in the rental prices and house prices, yeah. and whatever. And by by in huge numbers. And I what I find bizarre is that the people who are running and who live in, we, we brought up, you know, it's, it's Seattle and Portland and San Francisco and LA and New York city and so on. I don't get how people are not, it's, we, I don't understand how people keep voting for it. Cause it's one thing to have politicians pushing certain crazy ideas, but people vote. So I'm confused as to what is going on in certain places where they can see the homeless is going, homelessness is going up, crime is going up, the cost of everything is going up, people mm -hmm. are not able to walk around safely and to have their basic freedoms. They shut people down, they closed uh, people's businesses for ridiculous amounts of time, they forced mandates on people, they did, they did. and people vote, yeah, we want more of that. And that's, that's the thing. Because our, that's, that's because our elections are corrupt. <laughs> it, do, do and that's why so? I talk about it. Absolutely. But, but, but I think people really, I mean, I've talked, I've talked to, I've ta I talked to people who are, you know, more liberal and progressive. And it's one of the things that struck me when I was in California is that people didn't draw the connection between the policies they vote for and the results on the ground. So yeah. I would be there and I'd be amongst people who are, you know, more liberal Democrat and so on. And they'll be complaining about a lot of the same stuff, right? They'll be saying, Oh yeah. my gosh, this is terrible. This is this, this is this. And then, but they don't draw the connection I see. between what they vote for and the, and the results of it. And and that's the part that I find perplexing. I don't find is it this, perplexing. And this that is probably more before 2020. I think COVID yeah. was a real wake up call for a lot of people. We're seeing with our campaign, a real movement from day yeah. one, we have a movement of people uh, behind this. It's, it's very exciting. It's never been seen in Arizona politics before. It only took me three weeks to get the signatures to be on the ballot. That normally takes nine months and you have okay. to pay for the signatures. Now I'm not telling you this to be boastful. It's not about me. It's about the people being fed up. And young people, primarily, I'm most proud of the fact that we are drawing young people in. Young people who never cared about politics are kind of how you described it. It's like they might be frustrated with things, but they don't kind of make that connection. Mm -hmm. 
they finally have made the connection because they had some of the greatest memories and, and moments of their life taken away through terrible COVID policy. Mm-hmm. They were masked. You know, we live in 115, 120 degree heat. It's yeah. not fun to wear a mask in Arizona. And it was the children and the young people who were forced with bad um torturous policy to wear masks longer than anyone. They had their prom taken away, their ability to walk and take graduation, their ability to hang out with friends taken away. They were locked in their dorm rooms and forced to go online. They had scholarship opportunities taken away from them. They realized, and and, and it's kind of beautiful actually that this came out of such a dark, dark time, that politics and policy affect their lives. They're getting involved now because if they don't, somebody else will chart the course for their future. And we have more young people involved who have finally woken up that politics matter. Politics matter. That's awesome. I want to hear a little bit about your time in the media, because you've been quite critical of the media and their propaganda during this interview. So as someone who worked in that world for decades, give me a little bit of an insight on that, especially because some of the things you're saying right now, I'm like, man, she could not have been popular with some of these views, especially over the past <laughs> couple of years, especially working in media. Well, so. I was a good journalist. I didn't, I didn't espouse my views and I didn't, I kept those to myself. That's how journalists should be. Can I say one more thing real quick on policy? Because I didn't go finish ahead, that, that little, that third part, which is educating our children properly. Mm-hmm. We are proposing a dual track education after 10th grade here in the U S we have K through 12. Our kids are in school for 13 years. And after 10th grade, we want to push very hard to get, um, if a child wants, a student wants to go to a four-year university, great, go for it. But if they don't, we want to push trade skill training, vocational training, career certification right there in high school. Let's go. A lot of the problem is that we, you know, the, we want our kids to go from point A to B quickly and successfully, but they don't know what point B is. And we're not giving them the options. The real jobs are some of those trade skill jobs. I've been to a program down in Vail School District where they have uh, all kinds of vocational um, training right there in high school. The kids in the welding class, the teacher told me every single one of them, they're about 25, will graduate with their high school diploma and they will be offered, they will all have job offers making 70 to 100,000 full benefits. We need to give our kids this. Uh, The purpose of educating our children is not just to bide time, it is to prepare them for the real world so they're self-sufficient and they can make a living and realize the American dream. And if we don't give them that, if we shortchange them on their education, then they end up in that cycle of despair, going nowhere. And so we have to have that as well. Okay, now back to the media. <laughs> um, when I was a journalist, I, w- I was a fair journalist. As a matter of fact, when I was recruited by the people to run for office, it really is an amazing story. Uh, I went on Steve Bannon's show, I'll never forget, I show up on his show. I do an interview with him and um, I thought it went really well. I mean, I was new to politics. I'd only been in politics a few days and he texted me and said, you want to know how that went? And I said, yeah, of course. And he goes, can I give you some advice? I said, absolutely. I'm thinking he's going to say it went great. (laughs) He called me and he said, "Uh, that was horrible. And I thought, wow, I didn't stutter. I I kept my point. I made my point succinctly. What, What was wrong? And he said, he goes, well, it was great if I was interviewing a journalist or a news lady, but you're not a journalist anymore. You're going to have to start putting your opinion out there. Mm-hmm. You're running for office. People want to know where you stand. And I'll tell you what, after being a journalist for 30 years, Zuby, it was really hard. I had trained myself to keep those biases and opinions to myself because yes. that's what you're supposed to do as a journalist. Mm-hmm. And now I obviously don't do that anymore <laughs> because we're in the 11th hour. Actually, we're in the final minutes. And if we don't start speaking out, speaking the truth, then we will lose this country. And I believe we're very close to losing it. And that's why I encourage people who cares what they say about you on social media. I know they're attacking you right now, Zuby. Who cares? <laughs> because if you're here in America If you lose a friend, if you lose a client, if they shut you down on Twitter and you lose your, you know, our founding fathers lost a whole hell of a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. When they signed, when those 56 men signed their name to the Declaration of Independence, they signed their death warrant. Many of them had their, their homes burned, their families were uh, harassed and hurt and shot and killed. And many of them were killed. Mm -hmm. 
but we're on the verge of losing this country. So let's sacrifice a social media embarrassment or post, not an embarrassment. I don't find anything embarrassing about speaking out to try to save our country. Of course. What, what's funny with the, that aspect, though, you, you brought up the social media is that it's I mean, this might be different for you in the world in the world of politics now, but it's all limited to social media in the real world. I get 100 percent love. It's all love. Any city, any country, all love. Selfies, hugs, handshakes. Man, thank you. Love what you're doing. Been following you. Saw you on this. Saw you. It's all love. I can do a meetup in like any city, any country. It's it's amazing. And then you go online and it creates this illusion that stuff is way more hateful and aggressive and so on than it is. I mean, I, I you know, it's I'm, not I'm real. That's why. No, it's it's not, it's not real. real. It's very it's very manufactured, right? People think, especially people who aren't in the in the USA, people think that you go to the states and it's just like everyone is fighting and it's chaotic and there's shootouts and there's this and there's that. And cause that's what people see. That's what they see in the mainstream media. That's what you see on social media. A normal day doesn't go viral, right? There's no, Oh, okay. Yeah. It was just a normal day in Chicago today and stuff was fine. And people got on. Well, it's when something crazy happens that it gets highlighted yeah. and it gets blown up. And that's why people think that the police are just going around murdering black people. People think that, black and white people are just fighting in the street and that Republicans yeah. and Democrats are just at each other's throats. All. And then you go there and you're like, you know what? It's not as, yes, there's some polarization and there's some division and there always will be in a country the size and scale and as diverse as the U.S., but it's not as, I, I do think that the, the the fear and division narrative is overblown. It's It's not that it doesn't exist, but I do think that when I'm there, I'm like, you know what? Most Americans are decent people. Most people are nice. Most people. It's are a narrative. People, You're right. That are, word yeah, narrative. Yeah, it's pe a narrative people are getting on generally. Being pushed by the media and the social media, and and Twitter mm -hmm. is not real. I mean, there's a lot of we're finding out there's a lot of phony fake accounts through this whole. Um, if you're following <laughs> the main, the mainstream media is not covering what's happening with Twitter and all these, uh, you know, hearings that are happening, but you know, they've got actually actual spies on Chinese spies on their staff that's come out in Congress with these hearings. And they, like the, the management didn't care. It's like, you've got litter spies working for you. And we're finding out that um, I, I just read, I think it was Elon Musk posted that nine, 80% of the accounts are just fake accounts. So all those accounts, those bots go at you, the trolls, and they mm -hmm. make you think you're in the minority and what you're preaching, which is common sense, love coming mm -hmm. together. And they make you think that you are the worst person in the world. So when once you realize these are not real people I'm dealing with, then you don't care. You don't care. But you talked about the division. And we just held a press conference last night. Some of it's up on my Twitter account. The rest will go on my Rumble page. You can see the entire press conference in support of our good men and women in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Our streets are so unsafe right now. Crime is soaring through the roof. Violent crime, even property crime. And that may not seem like a big deal, but when your car's broken into, the window's shattered, stuff inside is stolen, it's hard to recover from that if you're barely making ends meet. You know, replacing a window on a car is expensive. Um, you know, all of the, if your home's been broken into, you lose that sense of security. These are serious crimes. Every yes. crime is. We got to support our police. And as we were doing the press conference, the media tried to start pushing that agenda that the police are after black people. The, the police are trying to hurt black people. And I just shut them down. Yes. That's not true. The police, many of them are black people and the yes. police are trying to help. They're trying to help. And the, what they're doing by pushing that narrative is they're 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 defunding the police. They're pulling police out of neighborhoods where we they do need more police. Yes. You go to any neighborhood. I don't care if it's primarily a white neighborhood, black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. And you ask them, do you want the police to pull out? Do you want less police, fewer police? Do you want defunding the police? They will tell you no. They want secure and safe streets. They want their children to be able to play outside and not have to worry to death about what's going to happen. And, and I'm just really pushing back against the media. They're the ones who want this division that doesn't exist, but they are pushing for it. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you're here, you, you, you see it, it doesn't really exist, but 
what's being put out on the airwaves across, across the world is that we're a divided country. I think we can come together quickly once people wake up to who's really doing the dividing. I agree with you. And, you know, I think the first thing that people need to, to me, like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm somewhere between libertarian and conservative. If I must label myself, I'm not hardline anything. I'm, I'm a free thinker, but I think that politics is functioning well when you essentially don't notice it. Right. So when people are just, you have your freedom, you have your liberty and so on, stuff is functioning. The infrastructure is decent and you are just generally safe, right? You're, you're yeah. not war. You're not freaking out about, oh my gosh, like, am I going to be attacked? Am I going to be robbed? Yeah. Do I have to, you know, you talked about worrying about your children stepping on needles, right? People just want stuff to, to, to function and just have an environment and be safe. And even with some of these communities, that's how you then would get investment, right? So there are yeah. places, there, there are dilapidated areas in the USA where no, no sane person wants to go in there and develop uh -huh. things because it's not safe, right? You don't want to open a store because shoplifting is going crazy. You don't want to uh, invest in real estate because you've just got homeless people and drug addicts scattered around everywhere and so on. So yeah. I think with the people who push this, you know, defund or abolish the police notion and some of these crazy policies, you know, that are very, very permissive and which incentivize really bad behavior. This is the epitome of, um, oh man, of, I think it's, I want to, I want to give a shout out to someone called Rob Henderson. Cause I, this is his term. I believe he coined called luxury beliefs, right? It's yep. the epitome of luxury beliefs where people can afford to promote them and show they're a good person. And they're not going to be the individuals who are in those communities who, yes, who have to suffer the brunt of it. And so I think abolish and defund the police, um, you know, the desire to disarm everybody, the notion that people should just be able to set up these encampments everywhere and you should give people free needles and this and that. <laughs> it's, it's so counterintuitive and non-commonsensical and it makes people feel good, but ultimately it just, you know, open border policies and it, it just ends up hurting the people who- It's virtue signaling. Yes. And it's primarily pushed by um, white, upper- rich, um, maybe Ivy League educated University people. University graduates. And it's hurting poor communities. Yes, they yeah. act like they care about poor communities or even middle-class communities. It's hurting them. So they push this uh, notion that the police are all racist. And then they convince people that that's true. And then there's strife and they push to defund the police. We have fewer police. Even if they don't defund the police, when they're constantly under that kind of verbal and attack in the media, they decide to go and do other professions. Why would you want to stay in that in that position? Mm -hmm. And then these neighborhoods where crime is happening, the crime they stop pursuing the criminals who are inflicting this crime on on innocent people. And we just talk about the smash and grab stuff. Pretty soon, a store after after having three or four of those incidents, they go. You know what? We can't make money doing this anymore. We're going to pull up and close the store. Then you have a community that doesn't have a store anymore, and you have despair in these communities. And the people who are hurt, you're right, are not the people pushing this. Yeah. There's um, it, it's really a sick, twisted, and I, I blame a, a lot of it is the media for perpetuating, perpetuating this. Yeah. Now, the last question I want to ask you, Carrie, on this topic is I have a question around the, as a member of someone who's running as a Republican, I've said many times as an outsider, I think the biggest issue uh, in the Republican Party, really, that doesn't get talked about is what I would call branding. I think that for many, many years, probably my entire life, I've noticed that the Democratic Party has the upper hand in branding, right? They've managed to brand themselves as the party for women and black people and minorities and gay people and all of this, right? They, they, you know, we're the diversity party. And they've also managed to brand the Republicans as being somehow racist or bigoted or not caring about the common person and so on and so forth. I think that that is a complete garbage narrative. I don't think that yeah. they, it's, it's remotely true, but the branding is affected. There are millions and millions of people out there who do believe that. So what do you think that yourself and other Republicans can do at both the state and perhaps even the federal level 
to better reach out to people and to change that branding over the course of time. You're 100% right. I talk about this on the campaign trail. We need some great communicators like the Ronald Reagans of the world to say, no, 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 we're actually the party of common sense, of sanity. And But the left has been uh, almost evil geniuses in the way they're using language. I mean, look at this uh, Inflation Reduction Act. All it does is drive inflation up, but they call it inflation reduction. It's like opposite day. Mm-hmm. They call um, they call abortion the taking of the life of of the unborn justice. in the mother's womb. Healthcare. Healthcare. Yeah, they call pregnancy a health problem. Mm-hmm. They call patriotism racism, and we mm-hmm. allow them. They call conservative values uh, right wing values, and we have sat there and allowed that. And I'm going to stand up and fight back because guess what? I'm a communicator. And this is a war right now of narrative, information, and communication. And I'm going to do my best to communicate what the Republican Party is all about. We are about common sense ideas. We are about finally solutions to these problems that we've been watching go on for decades that are are really um, destroying our states and our cities and communities. Um, And I believe we're about, I think we're the most inclusive party. We want inclusivity anywhere. If you want ideas that work, you are welcome in this party. And so we need to work on that. I agree with you a thousand percent. We've allowed them to control the language Mm -hmm. and not call them out on it. Even with an issue like abortion, they don't call, they never even talk abortion. Have you noticed They don't use that word. Never. Unless they're they're pushing at a a Republican, they say pro-choice. Mm-hmm. And then the the uh, the right falls into it and says, "Okay, we'll be pro life." Mm-hmm. Let's not take out what the issue is. It's abortion. It's the taking of the life of the unborn. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to stop allowing them to hijack language like that. And if they do, we need to fight back with some serious dose of truth. And that's what I intend to do. We need another Ronald Reagan right now. And I am not even saying I'm anywhere close to being Ronald Reagan, but he was called, <laughs> he was called the great communicator. And we need somebody who can communicate the ideals of our party, because it is truly only through America first ideas and policies that we'll get out of the mess we're in. It's the so-called people with experience who've gotten us into the mess, and it's going to take some outsiders to get us out. Donald Trump was an outsider. Ronald Reagan was an outsider. I am an outsider. We need outsiders, real American citizens to step forward and help lead this government for we the people. Carrie, I like so much of what you're saying. It sounds completely sane and commonsensical to me. And importantly, and this is important, I, I think you're very likable. You're a great communicator you. and you're you're very likable. And I, I think that's I do think that's important because as we as we've discussed, there's the facts and the logic and the rationality side. But I do think that likability and ability to communicate and relate to people and have people feel like you care about them and are representing you. I think sometimes Republicans miss the mark on this, even if the policies mm-hmm. are great. And I think that you're able to balance those things very, very well. So I wish you the Thank best. Thank you of luck so much. I have to say, when I looked at um, my agenda today and I saw that we were doing this interview, I, I think usually they'll write like, you know, they want to talk about the border. They want to, and yours said, I don't know what we're <laughs> going to talk about. It's free flow. And I thought that's my kind of show. I love, I love just the ebb and flow of just normal conversation. And I believe that everybody running for office should have to do an hour or two hour long podcast where they don't know what the question is. It's hard to fake who you are and lie about who you are when you're exposed in an interview that you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know the questions. And I've done a lot of these. I've, I've done three hour podcasts where we talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> it's good to see where where people stand when they're thrown kind of the unknown, because that's what it is when you're in the real world governing, you're going to be thrown a lot of unknown. And I'm running against a socialist who won't even show up for a debate. First time ever in the history of Arizona when the gubernatorial candidate won't show up for the debate. She doesn't want to show up for the job interview. And to me, that should be disqualifying. And hopefully the people of Arizona understand that. If you can't show up on the debate stage and share your your ideas and your policies with the good people that you want to represent, then you know hit the road. I hear that. Carrie, where can people find and follow you online? 
Thank you. CarrieLake.com. It's K-A-R-I-L-A-K-E.com. I encourage you to go there and take a look at our policy page. It's under issues. And take a look at that border policy. Take a look at that policy on homelessness and on education. Those are three critical, critical points that we need to address in order to get things back on track in this country. It's been so good to talk to you, Carrie. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.